Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Merry Christmas, New Covenant. Thank you for being here this morning. And I know that we just got to see a snippet of all the work that went into putting this together. But praise the Lord for our children's ministry, the things that you also don't see, because they're typically up there in the warehouse and we're down here. Um, They're not just learning random Bible stories or random verses throughout each week. Um, They're actually going through something called the Gospel Project. So over the course of a couple of years, they're learning the whole grand narrative of Scripture. They're seeing how Jesus is on every page from Genesis all the way through Revelation. So our kids are getting invested in well. And these are our up-and-coming teachers and our up-and-coming pastors and our up-and-coming leaders and politicians. So we need to be praying a whole bunch for what's happening with our kiddos Um, And how God is going to use them even now. We don't have to wait until they grow up for God to use them. Um, We're hearing stories of how God is using our kiddos, uh, even in their kindergarten, first grade, and on classes. So uh, be excited about that, be encouraged by that, um, but continue to pray for them as well. Uh, So this morning we are taking a look at that king, uh, the king that is born in Isaiah chapter 9, which I know is a passage that many of you all are familiar with. It tells us that for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This king that we've been taking a look at is the greatest gift of all, but along with him coming, we also get other gifts that we get to celebrate together. So, so far, we have looked at the gift of hope. Hope in the past, that longing for the Messiah that was going to come, that was going to fulfill prophecies that have been written about him hundreds of years before he came. We celebrate hope in the present. Jesus is with us now and will never leave us. And then we have a hope for the future. Did you all know Jesus is coming again? He came once. He's going to come take us home. Can't wait for that day. Last week, we looked at two gifts, the gifts of love and the gifts of joy. Love is that gift that has been thrown around so much in our society, that it was important that we understood from a biblical perspective what love is. Uh, in the scriptures, the love that's used that God has for us is that word agape, which is an unconditional love, which means, and I'm hoping you're rejoicing as much as I am, he loves me despite myself. Uh, we tend to think, and maybe you even come from a religious background that teaches, you've got to take all these steps in order to get to a point where God loves you. To which I would say what we operate out of is that we do good works because God loves us, not so that he will. If I have to work for God's love or I had to try to work my way to heaven, I would never get there. Which is the whole reason that Jesus came to us. Again, maybe in religious systems you're used to thinking of a ladder that you have to ascend in order to get to God. To which scripture makes clear to us we could never ascend a ladder to God. That's why God came to us. And that's why Christ died on a cross. And then that led to our third gift of joy. Man, what great joy I have in knowing that despite who I am and what I've done, God loves me anyways. Despite the fact that I could never ascend a ladder into heaven and Jesus came to me, I can have joy that defies all circumstances. And remember, if there were any people in the world that had reason to not have joy and to instead complain, Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, and then Elizabeth, uh, who gave birth uh, to John the Baptist, those two had reason to not have a lot of joy. And why? Well, they were poor. They were living in meager circumstances, and they both had pregnancies that were going to be quite difficult. 
and yet they found joy anyways because of who Jesus is. And this week, we're on the gift of peace. I wanted to share with you a story from history.com that I found quite interesting. It happened on Christmas Eve of 1914. Anybody know what war was happening in 1914? It was World War I, and British soldiers and German soldiers had engaged in what we call trench warfare, where they would develop miles-long trenches. And from there, they would chuck grenades and fire guns. And in between was this area called no man's land, where if you went out into it, the chances of getting killed were high, and then those in the trenches uh, were as well getting killed. But this interesting event happened on Christmas Eve and into Christmas Day of 1914. All of a sudden, there was a ceasefire and the German soldiers started singing the song, Silent Night. And even though it was in a different language, the British soldiers recognized it and started singing along, and all of a sudden, all war stopped. And then the German soldiers came out first, and hesitantly and reluctantly, it says that those from the British army came out second, and they met in the middle in no man's land, continued to sing the song, Silent Night, and then began to exchange gifts of plum pudding and cigarettes. And then it says that there was even a documented game of soccer. Now on December 26th, the warfare picked back up. And the guns started shooting again, and the grenades started being chucked again. And that makes some of us wonder, is lasting peace even possible? And the answer to that is yes, if we have a right understanding of what peace is. So I'm going to get there in just a moment with giving you a definition of what peace is. Before we do, I want to take you to Luke chapter 2. We're going to take a look at a group that we know of as the shepherds in the Christmas story. These were guys that most likely couldn't make it as rabbis, probably failed out of rabbi school, and oftentimes when that happens, you'd become either a fisherman or a shepherd, or something along those lines. These guys probably felt anything but peace. See, I want to take you to the day-to-day life of a shepherd and see if you feel like the shepherds at any point in time. A shepherd would have had to stay up day and night. They would have had to tend to their sheep. They would have had to fight off wild animals like wolves or bears. They would have had to fight off thieves that were coming to steal the sheep. It wasn't a prestigious job as they're hanging out with stinky animals. And they probably had anything but peace, constantly wondering if their sheep, what all of their livelihood was wrapped up in, might be stolen or might be killed. Do you ever feel like a shepherd at all? Wondering if I'm going to make it through another day? I'm just exhausted from being up day and night. Maybe you've got a lot of worry going on in your life and you're wondering, is peace possible? Well, it's interesting that of all the people that the angels show up to, to pronounce peace to, it's the shepherds. It's not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. It's not the rich of the world, it's the lowly of the world. Now, before we go too far, in case you're wondering, well, are you saying that rich people can't be in heaven? I think sometimes we get the idea of, well, if I, if I am doing well and I'm not just struggling, then maybe I'm never going to enter into heaven. Because it says that it's easier for a camel to enter in the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Please understand that verse. The eye of the needle was literally a gate that led into Jerusalem, and in order for a camel to get through that gate, it had to strip itself of all of the packaging. So they would wear what were like saddlebags on each side. The person that was riding it would have had to get off, and the camel would have had to almost bend over backwards in order to get through. I think there's a great lesson there. 
Sometimes we need to be willing to bend over backwards for Jesus and to let go of some things that might be baggage that's weighing us down in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what that doesn't doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that God has just said you need to sell off everything, give it all away and live on the streets. It is saying that there are times that we have to be willing to let go of things that we have been holding on to, that we thought were going to bring us peace, that we thought were going to bring us hope, that we thought were going to bring us love and joy, all of which have let us down. So let's let go of those today. Right now, right here is a great time to let go of all of those things that we've been looking for to bring us hope, love, joy, and peace and simply find it in the Savior. In fact, there's three places that we find the ultimate in hope, the ultimate in love, the ultimate in joy, and the ultimate in peace. Three different places. One's a manger. The other one's a cross. And the other one's in an empty grave. Those are three places where we find our ultimate fulfillment and purpose. Look with me at the shepherds, if you would. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Remember who the shepherds are. These are guys who probably couldn't get the job that they wanted, probably didn't make mom and dad proud, probably felt like they had anything but peace. They were looked at as the lower, the lowers in the caste system. And yet this is who the angels show up to. And this is what they're told in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The shepherds recognized that they had a need for peace. Let me give you the biblical definition of peace. In the Old Testament, the most common used word for peace is the word shalom. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word irene. It doesn't just mean a ceasefire, although that's part of it. It doesn't mean just a stopping of fighting or war, although that's part of it. It means completeness or wholeness. If you can picture a brick wall with no gaps, no holes, not even chipped bricks, it brings about a protection that nobody else can bring. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, when I take up residence in your life, I am the Prince of Peace. I am that complete wall. There are no gaps in the bricks. There are not even any chips in the bricks. If you want to know where you have the ultimate in safety, it's being smack dab in the will of God. We could be in the middle of a battlefield, but if I am in God's will, I am in the safest place I could ever be. Does that mean that we're promised safety all the days of our lives? Does that mean that we're promised good health all the days of our lives? Absolutely not, but what it does mean is that no matter what happens to me, I know that I'm going to be in a place where I will have ultimate peace, complete wholeness, complete healing, and man, what a day that is going to be. 
These bodies will let us down. These bank accounts will let us down. This building that we're in one day will let us down. The car that we drive in will one day let us down. Our house will let us down. People that we love will let us down. And things will begin to happen that we may not like. However, we can completely and totally be at peace. Why? How was it that the shepherds were able to be at peace? Well, listen again to verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who's God pleased with? Well, again, let me let Scripture interpret Scripture. If you all will remember, at the baptism of Jesus, when he went out into the wilderness, God the Father speaks of God the Son, and he says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. That means that when Jesus takes up residence in my life, he no longer sees Dave, who he can't be pleased with, because I'm steeped in sin, instead he sees Jesus. So who is it that God is well pleased with or whom he is pleased with? Who is it that those, those that have peace with him? It's those that are in relationship with Jesus. Well, let me hit on four aspects of peace. The first one is vitally important before we go even go any further. When it comes to peace, peace with God is needed. We have to recognize this. Peace is needed because of our sin. Remember, peace means not only a ceasefire, but a completeness or wholeness. We've got people, maybe you're sitting in this room and you're one of them, that are literally at war with God. Nobody is neutral. You are either in intimate fellowship with him as his child, or as we're about to see, you are an enemy of God at war with him. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Let me stop there for a minute. It says that we are steeped in ungodliness and unrighteousness and that we suppress the truth. The word truth, by definition, is that which is consistent with reality. If we were being consistent with reality, we would have to admit that we know that everything in the universe had to have a beginning, which means that it's absolutely impossible for nothing to create something, and yet we want God out of our schools, we want God out of politics, we want him out of our communities, we want him out of our families, and God being the gentleman that he is says, I will give you exactly what you've asked for. I will step aside. Just be careful of what you ask for. We see God all around us. Listen to verse 19. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For by his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Remember, take the microscope and take a look at the three trillion cells, or three trillion strands of DNA that make up who you are. And we begin to study the immense complexity of one strand of DNA, which contains more information than an entire Encyclopedia Britannica volume or set. And yet you've got three trillion of those that make up who you are. And mankind wants to say that that was just an accident. Take a look at where we exist in the universe. Our little planet Earth spinning on its axis in the arm of the Milky Way galaxy that has a mother planet that's in just the right place called Jupiter that absorbs all the crazy space debris that should wipe us out. The fact that we live on a planet that's able to sustain oxygen and sustain water that we can live on and enjoy, it's almost as if somebody fine-tuned the dial so we could be here. Go figure. 
And yet it says that all of that is plain to mankind so that we are without excuse and yet we suppress the truth. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And I don't even have time to read the rest of chapter 1, all of chapter 2, and all of chapter 3. It paints a nasty picture for mankind and tells us that we are at war with God and we need peace with him. Again, let me take you into a couple of other verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Then it goes on to tell, tell us how good he is to reconcile us to himself. But listen how it starts. For while we were enemies, there is no neutrality when it comes to somebody's relationship to God. They are either at war with him or in intimate relationship with him. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 21, it says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That word hostile literally means evil intent. Mankind actually has an evil intent towards God. Now, when I think about this, God is all holy, meaning that he's perfect. He's set apart from his creation. He's omnipotent, which means that he's all-powerful. He's omniscient which means he's all-knowing. He's eternal, which means he's always existed. He's perfect, which means he's complete and whole. We go up against him. We war against him. What's the outcome going to be? Well, we just spent 48 weeks in the book of Revelation, and we saw the outcome for those that decided to wage war against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And what was the outcome? Obliteration of those that tried to, to wage war against the Lord Jesus. How many wars will God lose? None. So it makes sense to be at peace with him now. But herein lies the next question and our second point of the morning. Where can peace be found? Only in the Savior. The Lord Jesus is the only one that can bring us peace. Before I even read Luke 2, 8 through 14, let me tell you some of the places that people have looked for peace. They've looked for it in family. They've looked for it in a spouse. They've looked for it in a career. Some have even looked for it in religion. You won't find it in any of those places because all of those things that I just mentioned, even though they could be good, will always let you down and could be taken away. Peace can only be found in the Savior. Listen to Luke 2. Verses 8 through 14 again. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. What did the shepherds put their hope and their trust in? A bunch of stinky sheep. That was where all their money was coming from. It was going to come from the wool. It could even come from sheep's milk. It could come from meat. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you notice that everything about this passage has revolved around the Savior. It all revolves around Jesus. Why is God being glorified? 
because of who he is, and he made himself known in the person of Jesus. But can you have peace in the midst of not getting the job you want? Can you have peace in the midst of, and for the shepherds, probably some homelessness? What about the disciples who had all kinds of things happening in their lives that they shouldn't have had peace over? Some left their livelihoods and their careers. Others had already been beaten up for their faith. And now they're being told that their leader is about to be killed. And yet in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart, not, not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Did you hear what Jesus said? Not as the world gives do I give to you. The world makes promises that supposedly I can bring you fulfillment that never comes to fruition. The world claims that it can give you happiness, and it might for a brief period of time, but then it gets taken away. So Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Well, because of who he is. In fact, Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. He says, for he himself is our peace. So speaking of Jesus, for Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This peace that Paul writes about is peace between man and God and peace between man and man. We are never going to have peace between man and man unless every man and woman on the planet has peace with God first. As long as we are at war with God, we will be at war with each other. And one thing that I can tell you is not going to happen is all 8 billion people on the planet are never going to be at peace with God because by nature, mankind wants to rebel against God. And yet God brings us peace by coming as the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to note a third thing, that peace with God is a requirement for salvation. In order to be saved, we have to be at peace with God. Now let me unpack that for you. That's not something that we work for. That's not something that we strive for. The Prince of Peace came to us in and of himself, and he reconciled us to God or brought us peace. He brought the ceasefire. So the moment that I start a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I am at peace with God, and then I am saved. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to re be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is an entire sermon right there in and of itself. But I want to make a couple of things clear. Every person that has ever been born, every person that has ever walked the planet has sinned and therefore has fallen short of the glory of God. That means that there is not a person on the planet that has ever been able to or ever will be able to work themselves up to heaven or work themselves into a position of being with God. He had to come to us, and he had to save us and do it for us. Why? Because we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the good news in verse 24. You are justified, which is the word to be declared righteous, 
by His grace as a gift. Speaking of Christmas, what do you do in order to get a Christmas gift? You receive it. And then we get it through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus, as the greatest gift of all, redeemed us or bought us back because God put him forward, verse 25, as a propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation means an appeasement of wrath. If I do not accept the free gift of Jesus and get justified by his grace as a gift, being redeemed and being bought back, I am underneath the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not yet appeased, and I can never appease it. I have had people look at me and say, I don't really need your Jesus. I don't need to be saved from anything. I will face God on my own on the day of judgment, and I will be just fine. To which, again, I would always respond, what do you have to offer an all-perfect, all-holy, eternal God? Nothing, and neither do I. We're all on an equal playing field. The only chance I have, not chance, the only guarantee I have of being in heaven forever with the Lord is by trusting in the free gift of Jesus Christ and what he did for me. And then once I trust in that free gift, once I receive that free gift, I don't ever have to doubt my salvation again because my salvation is not dependent upon what I have done or what I do now, but on what Jesus has done and is continuing to do in saving me. That's a reason to celebrate at Christmas time. It goes on to say that this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over sins. It was to show us his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Don't mess what Paul just said. God, because of the fact that he's all holy and all just, has to demand a payment for sin. He has to. Somebody has to pay for it. So that person that looks at me and says, I don't need your Savior. I'll take care of it when I get to, to heaven and stand before God on my own. Well, if you want to pay for your sin, you've got to do it for all of eternity. And that's what we call hell. That's what we call the lake of fire. However, this is how good God is. In order to show his righteousness, he does something for us. He puts forth Jesus so that he might be just. In his justice, he paid for our sin by what Jesus did. But then he's also the justifier meaning that he justifies us or declares us righteous in his sight because of what Jesus has done. We had to study a lot of books by a guy named Robert Mounts in seminary. In one of his commentaries, he wrote something that I think is appropriate for today. He says, to have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God in which all the hostility caused by sin has been removed. It is to exist no longer under the wrath of God. Let me show you two pieces of good news from Scripture. Both come from the Apostle Paul. Both are letters to different churches. The first is a letter to the church in Colossae. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What is the only way that I can be at peace with God? It's through the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross. Again, there is nothing that you can do or nothing that I can do in order to be at peace with God. And we live in a country, we live in a world that seems to think, if I can just do one more good deed, one more good act, then maybe God will allow me into his heaven. To again, which I would respond, you have nothing to offer God Almighty. There is nothing that you can be at peace with Him. 
unless he does it for you. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Let me read verses 15 and 16 to you again. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus destroyed the hostility that we had created between him and God Almighty. And this leads us to our fourth and final point for this morning. Peace with God is going to change our course and it's going to calm our storms. I'm going to read about that a little bit more in just a moment. Peace with God changes our course and calms our storm. The shepherds went from tending sheep, doing their daily grind, just thinking that they were going to kind of live, tend some sheep and die, to being diverted to Bethlehem, to which they were going to get to experience and see the Savior, God Almighty in flesh, and then be sent out to tell all of the world about the Good Shepherd, about the shepherd that would come to protect the flock, to die for the flock. So they went from just simply tending sheep to going out and tending sheep, people, telling them about the Lord Jesus. Well, you've also got the disciples who had their lives radically transformed. You've got fishermen, you've got tax collectors, you've got shepherds that all get their lives radically changed. There's an event that happened to some of the disciples that were fishermen. They knew the seas. They knew them well. It's in Mark chapter 4, verses 37 through 39. They've got Jesus in the boat with them, which makes this fishing trip radically different from any trip that they've ever taken before. And in Mark 4, 37 to 39, it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him. And said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Think about that. With a single command, Jesus calms the storm. He calms the seas. And for good reason, the disciples were quite terrified. And for a while, they were even thinking, Jesus, you're here. Don't you even care that we're about to die? Okay, again, remember, we're not just a bunch of people that show up and just put on smiles and act like everything's okay when it's not. How many of you all, in a moment of honesty, have ever felt like the disciples? The winds and the waves are crashing all around, and you're wondering, Jesus, do you even care? Honestly, anybody been there before? Like, Jesus, where are you when I need you the most? Here's what's interesting. Jesus is right there in the boat. He's with them. In his humanity, if they were going to drown... So was he. But yet, notice Jesus isn't worried. There are so many great things to learn just from these three verses. Did you notice Jesus isn't worried? He's taking a nap. Oh yeah, tell me something I don't know. Yes, the winds and the waves are going crazy. Yep, the boat might get capsized. Yes, I know. But here's why you got nothing to worry about. I'm in the boat. Now listen, gang, I want to make sure that we don't make this say something that it doesn't. This is not a blanket promise that Jesus is always going to calm all your storms. In fact, they might get worse. Here is the promise. 
Because again, I want to let Scripture speak to Scripture. Scripture makes as clear as can be that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or forever, and he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. So let's just say the wind and the waves start raging. Let's just say the storms start raging. Circumstances around us change. Does Jesus? Absolutely not. Does he ever leave you? Does he ever decide, hey, you know what? It's getting a little rocky around here. I'm out. I'm going to jump out of the boat. See, the good news is Jesus never changes. And the other piece of good news is that he never leaves us. God with us, always present. Emmanuel, always present, never leaves, regardless of what's going on around you. So here's what we have learned or unpacked so far this morning. You and I are in desperate need of peace with God. If you have trusted Jesus, you've got it. You and I are in desperate need of a peace that will never change, regardless of what goes on around us and regardless of circumstances. If you know Jesus, you've got it. Now, in your humanity and in my humanity, am I still going to mess up? Am I still going to worry? Am I still going to get scared? Am I still going to doubt? Absolutely. But I don't have to let that doubt and that worry and that fear overwhelm me. We need to recognize that we desperately need peace with God and that it can only be found in the Savior. It's found at the manger. It's found at the cross. It's found at the empty tomb. And it's found in the promise that he is going to come again. All of those promises can never be taken away. We need to recognize that peace with God is required for our salvation. Again, if you know Jesus, be at peace, knowing that your salvation will never be taken away. I get this question a lot. Pastor, where do you stand with salvation? Can we lose our salvation? To which, again, I would respond, I'm just going to steal words from somebody much smarter than I. Dr. John MacArthur made this statement, if you could lose your salvation, you would. Every time. If you could lose your salvation, you would. But here's the good news. My going to heaven, my salvation is not based upon anything that I've done or anything that I will do. It's completely and wholly and totally dependent upon what Jesus has done. And the fact that he continues to save me, even though I'm a bonehead and I mess up day after day. Just again, to put us on an equal playing field, do we have any boneheads in the room? Oh my goodness, all the men raised their hand really fast. I love that. Good answer, men. Way to go. All of us have been a bonehead yesterday, probably this week, probably this month, probably this year, and probably more times than we can count. And man, am I so glad that it says right here in Scripture that God loves boneheads. Okay, not in those exact words, but it tells me that he loves people that mess up over and over again. Now I want to shift gears for just a moment and say this. That's not an excuse to sin. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, has the Apostle Paul anticipating that question. Well, since God loves sinners and God loves mess-ups, should I go ahead and just sin all the more so that grace may abound? To which he answers the question, by no means. How can you who died to sin still live in it? See, we have to recognize that with the moment that I trusted Christ and I was brought into peace with God because of him, I was also called to a radically new life. One that was supposed to look radically different from the rest of this world. So let's live a life that honors and glorifies and brings the Lord glory because of who he is. 
it is difficult to preach on and to teach on and to learn that fine balance of you will mess up, but that's not an excuse to do so. You are human and you are frail, and therefore, because you still live in a sin-stained body, you will mess up, but that's also not an excuse to continue to live in that sin. In conclusion for today, you may find Jesus as a baby lying in a manger and wondering what in the world can a baby in a feeding trough do? Well, you need to recognize what Scripture says about that baby lying in a feeding trough, that in him the fullness of deity dwelled, that for by him, for him, and through him all things were made, not a single thing was made that wasn't made by him that he is God in flesh, that even while a baby, a baby lying in a manger or nursing at his mama's breast, he was still the God of the universe, holding all things in the palm of his hands. Isn't that fascinating to even begin to dwell upon? While he's being conceived in the womb, he's still God of the universe. While he's being born, he's God of the universe. While he's being nailed to a cross, he's the God of the universe. While in his humanity, his body was lying in a grave, he was the God of the universe, holding all things in the palm of his hand. So whether you find him as that baby lying in a manger or maybe even that carpenter's son asleep on the boat, know that he is the God of the universe that holds all things in the palm of his hand. And the more you get to know him, the more you will be at peace with what's going on in the world around you. Listen, again, you have ultimate peace between you and God because of what Jesus has done. But the more I get to know him, the more I am at peace with what's going on around me. And that is regardless of circumstances. Last week we talked about how our joy defies all circumstances. This week we should recognize that our peace should defy all circumstances. And that comes when I'm in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus himself. Our vision and mission statement here at New Covenant Church. Our vision is to treasure Jesus above all else. Our mission moves us towards that vision. That is to know Christ or to know Jesus and to make him known. The only way that we get to know him and make him known and therefore treasure him more and more is when we get into this. When we get into this word, this all holy, all perfect book passed down from God. God breathed all of it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. When I am in prayer, when I am fellowshipping with other believers, when I am singing and saying things that bring him honor and glory, I will be more and more at peace because his word tells me that my relationship with him and knowing him is what brings ultimate peace, not the circumstances that are going on around me in my life. Now you may be thinking, pastor, I don't even know where to start. I want to be in his word, and I want to get to know him more, but I don't even know where to start. Please go to our website. Go on nccabq.org. Download the Bible reading plan. It's not dated, so if you're fearful of, I don't think I can read through the whole Bible in a year, great, take two, maybe even three. If you have to read day one for two or three different days in order to grasp it, go for it. It just simply says day one, day two, day three, but nobody knows what day you actually started on, so it doesn't matter. It's just a way of keeping track in where you're reading. On top of that, there is a great devotional slash Bible study that I use every single year. Continuously will help you to understand what it is you're reading. It's simply called Your Daily Walk. Find it on the internet, the joys of the internet right now. 
Go on the internet, go on christianbook.com, go on Amazon. I sound like an infomercial right now. I'm sorry, forgive me. But go and get your daily walk. It will help you understand God's word so that you will get to know Jesus more and then you can go out and make him known more. Get involved in a small group. We have small groups coming up. Come to our equipped course starting the second Wednesday in January. I'm excited about what's going to be happening around here. And all of those things are not just to have more ministries, not just to do more stuff, but it's so that you will get to know Jesus more and get to make him known more. I don't know if you've noticed this around here, but our, our driving passion is Jesus. That is, he is the one thing that we are the most excited about. It's about Jesus. And so every ministry that is going on here is all about helping kids and teens and adults and older adults come to know Jesus. I've got to think of the right vocabulary for that one. And as we come to know Jesus more and more and get to make, and get to make him known throughout Albuquerque more and more, that is where we're going to find our hope. That's where we're going to find true love. That's where we're going to find real joy and that's where we're going to find that peace that transcends all understanding. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we are just thankful for who you are. We are thankful that you are that wonderful counselor. You are mighty God. You are everlasting Father. You are Prince of Peace. You bring us that shalom. You bring us that completeness and that wholeness that only comes through being in right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that when we could never ascend our way to heaven, Lord, you came to us instead. And so, Lord Jesus, it's you that we worship this Advent and Christmas season. It's you that we bring praise and honor and glory to. And it's you as the greatest gift of all that we celebrate together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's in your mighty name that we all pray together. Amen. The end of this passage has the shepherds doing something that I'm going to challenge you to do before you walk out the door in about 60 seconds. Here it is. Luke chapter 2, verse 20. And the shepherds returned. They went back home, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This morning, we got to dive into God's word together and got told some great and glorious things from his word. Now is our chance to go out and praise and glorify the Lord by telling others about how good Jesus is and what he has done for us. Amen? And Merry Christmas, New Covenant. We will see you next week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.